Hi everyone, this is International Society of Hypertension Podcast. I'm Associate Professor Francine Marques from Monash University, Australia, and my co-host is Dr. Augusto Montesano from the University of Glasgow, Scotland. Welcome back, everyone, to our ish uh, podcast. And today we're talking with Maria Cristina Zanato, which is who is a research professor at the French National Institute of Health and Medical Research, also called INSERM. She's the head of the team Genetic Mechanisms of Aldosterone Related Disorders at INSERM, the Paris Cardiovascular Research Center, and University of Paris. She's also an associate investigator at the genetics department of the European Hospital George Pompidou in Paris, uh, France. And Maria Cristina is also a coordinator of the EU-funded Horizon 2020 uh, research and innovation project, ENSA-THT, and partner of the Horizon 2020 MindShift project, which we talked in a previous uh, podcast. She's also very active in many societies where she's the president of the European section of Aldosterone Council, ISAC, France, member of the executive committee of the International Aldosterone Conference and the European Council on Cardiovascular Research. She's also a member of the European Society of Hypertension between many other appointments. But what's more interesting to us today is that Maria Cristina has played a major role in the career development of many young researchers. And we are very excited to hear all about her mentoring experiences today. So Maria Cristina, thank you so much for being here with us. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to chatting with you today. Thank you for your nice introduction, Augusto. Yeah, so just like to get us started, um, can you tell us a little bit of your story? Like how did you get involved with hypertension research and all these uh, aldosterone or uh, cardiovascular research societies? So actually, uh, I have always worked on aldosterone and the mineralocorticoid receptor from the very beginning. Not really uh, on hypertension, but uh, I started my career at the University of Padova under the mentorship of uh, Professor Dejar Manini and working on the mineralocorticoid receptor. And uh, which is the receptor for, aldoster for aldosterone, which is involved in hypertension, of course. So at the beginning, I was not really working on hypertension. I was working rather on a rare disease of mineralocorticoid resistance, which is pseudohypoaldosteronism type 1, which brought me to Paris, to the laboratory of Professor Pierre Corbol, which was one of, one of the big laboratories working on the renin angiotensin uh, aldosterone system. And so that's where actually I started working in, in that field. And I, and I continued with that and moving then from pseudohypoaldosteronism to rather primary aldosteronism, which is the most common form of secondary hypertension. So that brought me into the field of hypertension. And how like your work, uh, your scientific work led you to participation in different committees and different societies? So I guess this is because of, of the quality of the work, I would hope so, and uh, my expertise, and uh, which brought me, uh, for instance, to be on the editorial board of Hypertension News, uh, whose editor is Lars Lindholm, and he was kind enough to ask me 
to participate to this to this work and I, actually for all these committees it was uh, because of my particular expertise in in, in the work in in primary aldosteronism and aldosterone related disorders and the genetics of that i would say i mean that's the way i feel it actually. Mm -hmm. and my like you 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 sit like in many different committees in the societies and you play like an important role in the administration and things that societies do to their members and uh, and the public so how do you think is important for a ECR or any scientist to participate in societies and uh, and how that type of activity helps people to progress their careers? So I think um, sitting in societies, it's in, in committees, it's, it's really important. It's not only because it makes you uh, a real professional network, but you learn so much from this type of, of engagement. And um, you learn in every terms, it's scientific learning, it's uh, administrative learning, it's it's every sort of, of, of um, expertise you need in a scientific career afterwards. However, I would also say it takes um, lots of time it's uh, it can be really very time consuming. And I think um, particularly at early stages of a career where you need to, um, to build your laboratory, to raise funds, to um, sometimes, sometimes having a family life um, and you have to balance all of that. So I, I think the, the real issue here is to find a balance. Between, um, between the time you spend on a committee and the time you keep for doing all the other things, not forgetting still to do good work, scientific work and publish good publications. And so personally, I have to say that each time, I mean, a good rule for me uh, was that at one point uh, I decided that each time I would re-engage into a committee I would disengage from another because my time is limited. And if you want, sitting on a committee is not just sitting on a committee, it's doing work and doing good work. So you can't just do good work if you have too many committees. So it should be in reasonable terms, I would suggest. That's that's like perfect and very good advice for many people because you see more and more like young people being eager to participate in uh, societies and then struggling to keep like a balance uh, or like a, a perfect balance between their science and participation in those uh, committees. So now like switching a little bit like from um, your career to your mentoring um, style and your mentoring experiences, if you need to define, and I think like that's one of, I always say this, that's one of my favorite questions because I, I didn't get a single uh, word that is the same for different people. There's always a new word that comes into play, but no pressure. Uh, if you need to define mentorship, your mentorship experience in one word, which word would that be? This is existing. I would say it's bienveillance, which, is means, which means in English benevolence, benevolence or goodwill or caring or kindness i have this for translation i don't i don't think e any one of this really reflects what i wanted what is bienveillance uh, 
Bienvoyance is taking care of people mm -hmm. uh, in a friendly way. I think it's all of that. So it's, if I resume that, I would say the word is bienveillance, which is translated to English, would, say, would, be, would mean taking care of people, um, being generous in, in, the, in the time you spend with them and in, in, the, in the amount of things you transmit to them. Mm -hmm. that's, that's perfect. Like, beautiful. And do you think mentoring is important to one's career? I think yes. I think absolutely. It's really, it's really fundamental. I guess it's um, it's tough if you build up your career without any mentorship, uh, just to help you understand what are the issues, what are the problems, and um, so I think. I mean. You may be able to do so without mentor, but it's, I, I guess it's much easier if you have a little bit of help. And, and when in your career did you uh, realize that you needed a mentor? So I'm saying this exactly because I never realized that, that I needed a mentor. I mean, it wasn't me realizing this consciousness, you know, having conscience of that, but it just happened. Because I've moved quite a lot, you know, I came from, from Italy to France and then in France, I didn't stay exactly always in the same lab. So I moved also labs and I moved mentors and not all of them were mentors. And, but I was very lucky. And at one point I really felt I had someone watching and helping me going through uh, the early steps of career, which means also not only being there if I had questions, but also promoting me giving talks at international meetings and helping me, for instance, in, in writing papers. And so I realized that uh, at that time, but I, it wasn't just coming from my personal, <laughs> very, very profound uh, reflection about the career, you know, it just mm -hmm. came, but I, I, I noticed this quite quickly. And it's, it's, and it is good, right? Because it's pretty much like a, giving you the opportunity to, to learn how to develop your career and not only to do an experiment in the bench. You're like, so I guess like you reach a point that you need to learn, we need not learn, but you need to make your science strong. But at the same time, we need to become this professional sort of to speak, like this person that is going to do more things that's not only the, the bench, right? Absolutely, yeah. And, and that's something that I like, we start and then we don't know. <laughs> we go like, oh my God, I don't know how to do how this. You, how could you ever know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> if nobody tells you, then you just, you discover this, you know, yeah. and yeah. And then you better have a mentor. I would say it this way. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, so when you're thinking about you as a mentor, what's your mentoring style? Like, how do you usually uh, mentor people? Um, so, Again, I'm trying to be bienveillant, so that means generous. Um, with my time, with the things I can share of my work, explaining also um, my work, what, what happens at my time of career, and, um, and trying to help to project younger people in their scientific career which is also very important at the beginning, actually, just because you may not be able to 
I mean, you may not think about what is a career and maybe then you see how a career is and maybe you just think, oh, I don't want to get into this. So, but once people are into this, then just trying to help them as much as possible, trying to strengthen, I would say, the good, the, the strengths and um, because that's very positive, I guess, and, and guiding people a little bit through the difficulties which they may encounter. And I, and I think like I, I, I can see that from you because I don't know if you remember, but in one of the, like I think it was the latest Iraq meeting before the whole pandemic uh, broke, broke through that we had this meeting in Italy, in Rome. Mm-hmm. And I, I was lucky enough to be sitting at the same table as you uh, in one of the din- the dinner that we had there. And two of your mentees, but like, I mean, like they were early career, but like getting uh, to start walking by themselves. Let's say, I think they were in the stage of getting independent. I don't know. We're sitting there too. And then we were talking about things and I could totally see from your interactions with them, that was exactly what you just said. Like, you were very good in, uh, in exposing them and bringing them into the conversation, into the meeting. So, uh, and you're very good in like giving them a chance to shine and all of that. And then that was something that made me like really uh, impressed. And I was like, oh, she has a lot of things to say like for our, um, for the people that listen to this podcast. So it's true. And you're very inspiring too. So like, I'm not trying to- uh, Oh, thank you. It was very very inspiring because you see nowadays, I guess like uh, sometimes we see people going through hard times where like supervisors are not so supportive. So it's very good to see one or like, or more than one, but in your case, one person there that was very supportive and really uh, fought the corner of your mentees. Thank you. <laughs> so now, Maria Cristina, so just like switching, like um, switching back from like a mentor to a mentee. So if you need to describe to everyone who's listening, what would be the best behavior or what a mentee has to have in order to really take advantage of a good relationship relationship with its, his mentor or her mentor and really like take something really good from a mentorship experience. So let's say, how what do you think a mentee should have to succeed? Um, so, I mean, you, might, you may also acquire, you don't need to have from the very beginning. Yeah. You may acquire skills and expertises, and but I just think you should be just a mentee should just be open-minded and mm. and um, and interact in a positive way, because that's not always simple. Because um, sometimes you know there might just be very basic misunderstandings maybe the mentor say something which is not meant in a bad way it's just but so and it might be not well taken and mm. and vice versa i think it's very diff- it's not so easy to say what a person should have to get a maximum from a mentorship it's it's building um, a, a relationship based on trust uh, reciprocal trust 
and exchanging as much as possible. And then there might be good exchanges or bad exchanges, or mostly they should be good, hopefully. But they're always, I mean, difficult times. We know this, all of us. I mean, um, there are difficult, tough times when the experiments just don't work, when, uh, when things, when you have 100,000 things to do and you just aren't, um, unable to finish one of them and and so it's not always that everyone is in a, in the best of his mood moods so i i guess it's it's a, just a relationship based on trust and trusting someone that he can help you i guess then you can get probably a maximum from from your relationship with a mentor yeah mm-hmm. and Maria Christina, you mentioned before uh that you have moved a lot throughout your career so you came from Italy to France, which like two different cultures, even though it's EU, Europe and like and everything, but it's two, two different cultures. How did you adapt to, uh, to these new adventures, let's say? Uh, so that was not always easy, I have to say, because you have when you move, you have to adapt on uh, also on social manners. So something which is uh, just current behavior in your culture may be just weird in another one. Uh, and I, I remember at that time reading, I think it was an article in a journal and speaking about the chameleons, which are uh, uh, applied to, to people and saying that uh, those who are able just to get the, the cultural manners of their environment, they are, Uh, they're succeeding the best. And personally, um, I'm not always so good. I I wasn't, I've not always been so good in that. I have to say it took me a while to adapt. And it's, uh, it's, of course, cultural adaptation. It's also social adaptation to, so it's, it's, it's a whole Uh, and uh, it took me, it took me actually a while, I have to say. And nowadays, but I'm old enough, just if I want to be Italian, I say I'm Italian and it's accepted, you know, so that, but that's after, after, like, I, in a sense, I had my love, etc. You know, because that's, the, that's, same that, that's the same thing that used to happen to me, like when I went from Brazil to Canada, completely different cultures and yeah. I do have like this Latin uh, blood and the Brazilianness, let's say. And then people would say that it's like, oh, he's Brazilian. Yeah. <laughs> like he's he's not crazy, but like he's very hyper and and yeah. friendly and this kind of things who talk to everyone but because he's Brazilian, while the Canadians were more calm and collected and everything. Absolutely. I see exactly your point. So I just it's now I use it in the sense that I just tell people, I'm sorry, I'm Italian. Yeah, no, it's good. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and So when you were moving, let's say you said you had experiences in France that you moved to different labs. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of people that listen to the podcast. There are in the transition period in their careers where they need to go to a postdoc or they're applying for a new job or new position in a different lab. So what did you look in these different labs for you to choose where to go and what advice you give to people that are in the same process? So I think it depends at which uh, point of your career you are. 
It's different if you move to a lab for a postdoc or if you move to a lab uh, having a position. So I have to say in France, it's a bit different because once you have a permanent position, for instance, at INSERM, uh, you can move wherever you, in whatever INSERM lab. So it's not, you're not seeking for another job. You, you keep your job in a sense. So it's, it's probably much easier. And so you can move to a lab, which is important for you because it gives, it offers you what you um, need in terms of, uh, uh, of environment, scientific environment, uh, platforms and, and, and skills for your project, for instance. So uh, I would say uh, in any case, uh, moving to a new lab, to a new place, uh, I guess the environment is very important. It should be a good environment. It should be a dynamic environment, a friendly environment. I think it's much easier to work in friendly environments uh, and uh, an environment which, which really provides you with, with, again, with the scientific, uh, scientific culture that you need for your project, for instance. If you are the moment where you want to, to, uh, to set up your lab, if you are searching for a postdoc, then in this case, you would rather look for a lab which has, uh, where, you, where you think you can evolve in a positive way towards actually the aim, which is your scientific aim for, your, for what you want to do in your life. So that should be something maybe you think about quite quickly in the sense, what is the domain Okay, I want to work on hypertension, but on what do I want to work on hypertension and what is the place which fits best for that? Mm -hmm. And um, I know I, I totally agree because like, uh, what do you think about like, you know, when people go for interview, uh, sometimes some people are reluctant to talk to the people from that lab that they interviewed. Uh, but usually we tell everybody like that's extremely important because you get to know a little bit of that lab. What do you think about that? Do you think it's a good? Uh, it's a, it's the, it's absolutely important because you can grasp much more on the on also the human environment that you have in the lab if you discuss with with the students with the postdocs of the lab. That's that's for sure. Now your favorite question that you uh, you told me. So like we got you question number seven here. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but like I'm having a hard time to, to see you as a shy person because like all the interactions that I had with you, we were always friendly and always like talkative. But if you were, and I guess you were, I don't know, in a situation that you wanted to talk to someone, you were either shy or the person was a little bit like intimidating. So like, uh, especially in a conference, right? Because you need to interact with people. So in case uh, from a shy person to another, to other many shy people, how do you break that ice and throw yourself at the conversational pool of people? So I told you, I'm not very good. I mean, I, I didn't used to be very good in this. I have an easygoing way of speaking. So that's why... I mean, we always had a very easy contact, but um, I mean, it's also who you're facing. So if this is a friendly person, it's much easier. If there is an intimidating person, then I, I'm not sure I have really uh, advices to give. It's so tough. Um, it, it's really tough because... Um, 
I think maybe now it's it's easier for people because people this I mean interaction interactions have becoming have become easier I would say uh, but when you're really intimidated you just should maybe write down something you want to ask and then uh, it's not you learn it by heart but I mean and then you really try to engage the conversation with that sentence that you wanted to ask uh, maybe training a little bit uh, to have easier interactions. So I think now there are ways to learn a little mm. bit, to let, be a little bit more easygoing. Um, I have to say there were one of two persons I always had trouble because I always thought, oh, let me say something intelligent now. But it really, please don't make me say something stupid now. And that, may, you know, then you get panic. But that's, don't forget that. Every question is intelligent. Every question. So that's really one thing. If I can give an advice, that's really one thing. Don't hesitate to ask whatever thing you have to ask because if you have the question it means that the person can answer you and that your question is worth an answer so my my suggestion is don't do it i like me <laughs> like i did it no but i i can totally like agree with you because every single time that i i was in that set of mind like oh don't say anything stupid i said something stupid because i was <laughs> so I was so worried about it that like yeah. it just got like this um, words coming out of your mouth and you don't control it and you suddenly just go like, oh God, I put my two feet in my mouth. Like, <laughs> like what I'm doing. Absolutely. Something completely unnatural. And, and you would never had said in a relaxed situation. Oh my no. God, I, I see exactly. Yeah. Yes. No, so, that's, that's, that's perfect. And amazing <laughs> advice, Maria Cristina. <laughs> So, Christina, just switching now from like mentorship to diversity and inclusion, which like there are a few problems with many different uh, occurrences yeah. in the world uh, that is kind of, kind of like open our eyes to diversity issues and inclusion issues. So what do you think is the biggest barrier around diversity and inclusion and how can we uh, change that in hypertension research? So I think the biggest barrier is that probably many people don't realize that there are barriers. And so I, I would call them the unconscious barriers, which are just due to habits, for instance. And um, I, maybe I can just speak about something I know better, which is women. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so just uh, even not the fact from another country, which we have discussed, but uh, just being a woman and uh, it's really getting better and better because there I mean there's so many young women and and really being involved uh, in many in many committees uh, taking over responsibility yes responsibilities and and much more visible than it used to be I remember meetings where there were you know 20 15 20 percent of women speaker only and that was not uh, such a long time ago. So I think uh, I'm very positive that this is becoming much better. And so I think it's certainly becoming much better also for other type of minorities or, or, or and, and inclusion problems. But I think, I mean, I have addressed 
sometimes it happened to me that I addressed the question, the, the issue very directly to people and asked about them. Why do you behave like this? I mean, you would have behaved differently if I were a man. So I, I just, yeah, it happened to me. <laughs> voilà. And I mean, in, in very simple way, I mean, it was not aggressive. It was just uh, to make them aware and the people, and the people didn't react. I mean, they were really surprised. So that's what I mean. That's, I think that's a big problem because people think it's, they behave very inclusive or uh, I think a majority probably mm -hmm. think they behave in an inclusive way. And, um, and there are also habits, you know, typically again for men versus women, the habits, okay, oh, you are, oh, there are, four or five guys there oh let's speak about the last uh, the last football match you know but of course i mean you won't speak about a football match with a woman so you just get you know a circle again and the circle makes the basis for then afterwards you know sharing responsibilities inviting to committees i mean maybe it's simplistic what i say but i think it's just also behavioral habits because why shouldn't, I mean, you, I think you can discuss about everything with everybody mm -hmm. and you don't need, but, you know, I think it's just habits very often, but you need to make them visible and to discuss them because otherwise people don't realize those habits. And especially like, you know, I, I, I see that because um, a lot of people, they're not aware of like the problem or how they contribute to the problem, as you said, like when you uh, confronted them, uh, they were like, what, do I do this? It's like, yeah, no, yeah. you just did. Yeah. And it's so unconscious that you didn't, it was even able to see it. Yeah. But, be, but it's good to have people like you that can speak up. And I think it's important for people to understand that, like you should speak up because yeah. sometimes people are not aware of it. Yeah, I think uh, one thing which goes with the responsibility and also with age is that uh, at one point I thought, okay, come on, now you're that age. Now you, <laughs> of course, I, don't, I won't tell which one. But anyway, <laughs> now, I mean, just you say things you think. I mean, you, you will speak up. And if you think you, you don't find correct, then you just say it. And you don't care. I mean, you know, and actually that was, I can remember so well that moment. And since then, actually, that's what I'm doing. Because I think that's our responsibility. And and I've seen it for everybody who's listening to, uh, I've seen Maria Cristina Zanato like do that because I was uh, in one of the meetings from like, from one society. And one person said something about like us, the young researchers are trying to do something for that society. And a senior one was very against it. And then you speak up for us, you're like, cause we're like, oh, we can't say anything to this person. And then you're like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> so let them do it. Like let them plan their things. And you are like, and you talk and the person totally back up, back up. And then we are able to do what we wanted to do it was like, well, well, thank you for that. But it's true. like. It's, there's something about, you know, uh, a point of your career or life that you just learn how to speak up and be very, like, assertive and not afraid of it. Yeah, you know, also, there is one thing which um, 
um, yeah, I have to say that I have an issue with ages because, and particularly because you're speaking, speaking about the young people. And I don't think, I mean, age is just uh, a social uh, uh, criteria mm. to classify people. I think a young brain is worse than old brain and it may have less experience, but uh, young ideas have the same value. That, I mean, all ideas have the same value. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, you know, to say, uh, oh, this, people, this person should not do this, or this is actually excluding people. And this, uh, I mean, you can exclude people by age or, or by sex or by whatever origin, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's just another form of exclusion, I would yeah. say. Yeah, it's yeah. just yeah, and when I say young, I mean like early careers, like like yeah, yeah. the the beginning Absolutely. of their careers. But that's the one of the biggest issues that we go through, because we are early career. Uh, people assume that we don't have experience, and because we don't have experience, we're there to gain experience. But sometimes we don't have good ideas, right? So it's good to have somebody that it's in our, our corner and say like, listen, they're learning how to to be here in this committee, but they're bringing in good points and fresh ideas and things that we need to listen to. It's great. Thank you. <laughs> um, so do you have, like we're talking about the role of women in, uh, in research and how uh, difficult it, it was and it's getting better now, but it's still, there's like, it's still some difficulties. Um, and when, uh, in the Women Hypertension Research Committee from the ISH, they always talk about the leaking pipeline where women tend to leave the scientific career due to many different reasons like cultural or personal and so on. So in, based on your own experiences, uh, what advice would you give for women in hypertension research for them to keep strong and, keep, uh, and stay in research? So the possibility of staying in research depends on each own, but it depends also on your environment where you're living. So I have to say in France, we have uh, the chance that we have, um, we have the possibility of uh, working uh, even uh, with children, because there are lots of possibilities to take care of the children, even when they are very, very little. And uh, if, uh, for instance, because that's one of the big problems for women very often, it's family care. And that was particularly evident during this COVID uh, period. And then, of course, I think it's very important here again to, uh, to share, <laughs> to, I mean, to share um, with the, if they have kids, to share the private life completely in the sense that all the, every career has the same importance. Um, but of course, it's not always easy because it depends again where you are, if you have family around, which can help. So that, that's one of the, of the issues. Another issue is um, women. So it's, it's not um, what, what women are facing also, I would say, and particularly in early career, is that, um, is this male predominance? So which makes that even uh, if they have all of this, uh, this help in their family life, etc., you still are a little bit delayed. 
often if you compare with men. It's, it's, it's not so, it's something which still is difficult. And I think then uh, probably for, as you say, for cultural reason or other reasons, maybe women not necessarily quit, but don't follow their career aspirations. Uh, what would be their ideal path, but then they do maybe another path, which, I mean, there is no problem if it is a real choice, maybe to do a little bit less at work because you want to do a little bit more uh, with, I mean, enjoy your family life also, because that's a real problem. I mean, if you to have a real good balance of that. So you may want to enjoy your family life. So there might be periods in your life where you want to have a little bit more time uh, with your family and not at work. If you have a family, if you don't have a family, you definitely still face some issues which are career issues, I, I, I would say. So that's, it's getting better, but it's still a little bit tricky. So there again, probably you have to have a good mentor or you have to have a good environment, which is also there when you have moments where you're a little bit off, but other people are there and then they can help you when you're a little mm -hmm. bit off, you know, and then you will, do, you will do a little bit more afterwards. I mean, you know, it should be a little bit... Uh, smooth i would say mm -hmm. and flexible in this sense but it's good if you have people around if you're not completely alone doing everything just a little group of people helping each other that would also help i would say yeah no like a community it's, yeah. it's everything right yeah yeah mm. and you mentioned uh covid and your uh response and uh just like reaching out our our last question here for you um so the covid pandemic was harsh on many researchers with like lab closures and problems with like grant, uh, granting agencies and lack of money now. So I think like we're still going through some hard uh, times. <clears throat> so what's your, uh, do you have any ideas or advice for people that were hurt by the COVID pandemic and like how to uh, pick up the pieces and come back together or uh, how to survive through uh, this period so i think um i think the covid pandemic it's uh, it's heterogeneous across countries it's not uh, everywhere where labs were closed the whole time but i agree it was just uh, it was and it is still <laughs> very difficult for many people and um and particularly yes i was speaking about the women because in many countries actually the schools were closed so this was not the case in France last year, but it, there it was in many countries or kids were at home having having online classes. So which which made things even more difficult. So I think um, for, for not just for women, for men, too. I mean, for the whole family, I would say in this. I don't want to yes, exclude men here <laughs> for young people, for instance, who had to deal with that and for fundraising and for everything. So um, I found there were things uh Personally, I COVID generated more time for me because um, I didn't have the travels, for instance. So that was, of course, very sad because uh, you don't meet people anymore and anything. But that time was precious, for instance, to write, for writing, 
for um, I think people in early careers and later, there are so many maybe experiments which you have done. And then you always go, you know, you're always one step um, ahead because you are you are doing your stuff, but you have already to write another project, to raise another grant, etc. And maybe you have things to finish. So there may be things which can be finished. There are maybe projects which can be written, really good things, because you are at home or you are, uh, yeah, you are delayed with your, delayed, not delayed with your experiments, just finish what is done. So that's a good time, a good time to finish things, to write down things, to make the point, to have new ideas, to take the time uh, to, to do your biography. You know, there is, there is a time which can be used in a different way. Uh, uh, to be more creative, because although, I mean, with, with the usual routine, sometimes we lose this time of creation, which is research, because it's, we are always in, in the routine things and in the deadlines, which are just coming and always late, etc. And that time actually is a time right now in places where the labs are not open completely again, or where, uh, yeah, or where things are not really back to normal life. I think that's a time which can be taken and it's uh, maybe a positive time for creation, I would say. Perfect. No, it's, it's, it's amazing advice. Like I wrote here, like regroup, rethink and use your time in a creative way. Perfect. <laughs> so <clears throat> Maria Cristina, um, Thank you very much again for uh, your time. I hope you enjoyed uh, the interview as much as I did. And I think a lot of people will. Um, and I look forward to see you again in person uh, soon and talk more. Thank you very much for, for inviting me to this interview. And I hope it will be helpful for people. Thank you for listening to our interview. If you'd like more tips on mentoring, subscribe to our podcast for more interviews with senior and emerging leaders. Stay safe, open-minded and kind.